Have you, in your Bible reading, in your thought of creation and the new creation that is coming in Christ, have you ever taken time to meditate upon God's Eden and recognize that Eden itself was a type of something greater? Have you ever considered that? That as we, as we meditate upon God's Eden creation, where the land of Eden God created, the heavens and the earth, and here is Eden, becomes the center point of the biblical story. Eden, the land, this particular space upon God's creation. And then you go from Eden to the Garden of Eden. Have you ever considered, as you look at the beauty of the Garden of Eden, And we rejoice over the garden sanctuary. And we see its beautiful harmony. And that creation was obedient. And that man was placed there. And that the comment on the garden is that it is very good. And so we meditate there and we see its beauty. And then we watch the fall from there. And then we'll get into that. But have you ever thought backward? to the garden sanctuary and thought, yes, indeed, it is good, it is beautiful, it is right, it is seemingly perfect. But then moved your own mind and heart to think, but heaven isn't an afterthought. The new heaven and the new earth of what you just heard read for you, Revelation 22, 1 through 9, was not written after the fall in God's decrees. Wait a minute then. How do we now think fresh about Eden? Remember, we would think maybe at the beginning, we would think this is it. This garden sanctuary is it. All of God's fullness is being experienced right here by Adam. And it is good And right here by Eve, whom God gave to Adam. And it is good. It is perfect. This is it. But then we think, well, Revelation 22 said it wasn't it. God had already planned in the great work of redemption an eternal resting place that was even greater than Eden. Eden is a type, this type that speaks to greater realities. Now I've thoroughly confused you, and you're wondering, what what do we make of Eden anymore? Eden, let me say it like this. Revelation 22 and 21 21, you remember the very beginning of Revelation 21 was the new heaven and the new earth where it was dawning. And the dwelling place of God is now with man. Man is with God. God is with man. And we see these new creation realities of Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 of what was just read for you. And we've looked at each one of them piece by piece, piece by piece. This, Revelation 21 and 22, is the greater and more perfect Garden of Eden. From Eden, 
there was sin. You recall, we'll briefly look at it. And then you watch God's covenant kindness. Remember, he gives a great covenant of grace in Genesis 3. He will save. He will restore. He'll do it on his own work. And then yet you watch also Israel was promised through Abraham, a people. They were promised what? You remember? They were given a promised land. Do you see? God's people in God's land, sin and brokenness, exile. Oh, wait, another pattern. God's people in God's land, wait, exile. Do you see how that's developing? So you move from Eden to where it was a type, and then you move to Canaan that is a promised land to you and to your children. This place is unbelievable, Abraham. It's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your mind. You're going to eat olives from branches that you didn't plant. It's a, it's a land that is marked by flowing with milk and honey. And best of all, in this promised land that I will give to you, I will dwell there. And you'll be allowed to be there also. But you remember, idolatry. Exile. So these promised land one and this promised land two is moving forward in a great story of redemption to a final, consummate, promised land where we will dwell with God and he will dwell with us. And the great realities that you had read for you already, there will be in this final, consummate, what I mean is complete, final, there is no more to come, every tear will be wiped from your eye. Every burden will be lifted. Did you hear Brother J.D. read? There will, in that final consummate Eden, there will be nothing more that remains accursed. Nothing. But you remember, even the promised land of Canaan, there was still sin. Not in the new heaven and in the new earth. Nothing accursed will be there. I want to show you this morning for a few moments about how we move from Revelation 22 back to the Garden of Eden and then from Eden back to Revelation 22. I hope all of you are as wide-eyed in 10 minutes from now as you are right now. We have a lot of work to do. There are four things I want to show you about this text. Each time I felt like this morning as I was looking at it, I wanted to take a step back and consider it in the full scope of the Bible because I feel like we have in 21 and large part leading into 22, we've handled each and every image. And we've tried to look as best as we can in our time together at all of the images and what they're communicating. Now I don't want to knick-knack each image. We can at maybe another time. What I'd like to do now is look at Revelation 22 in a whole as it's been read for you. All of it is present and take you back to Eden and then come back to these realities. That is, I want to show you four things about Revelation 22 from the Bible. That is, number one, what I want to show you, the story of Revelation 22, number one, where the story of Revelation 22 began. Remember, it's not an afterthought of God to create a dwelling place for his people where they will be with him and he will be with them. It wasn't an afterthought that he would send himself to gather them. It was a great, loving plan of redemption. That God would be with his people and his people would be with him. 
I want to show you where Revelation 22 began. Then secondly, I want to take a few moments together to look at how the story then developed. So where it began. So what we're doing in in verses 1 through 9 of Revelation 22 is we're looking at this beautiful oak tree full. Maybe some of you now are having leaves spring on your trees and you're appreciating now the cover that it gives to you, the, the, the way it hides your house from all of your neighbors that can easily look in all of your windows. That's us. And you're appreciating the foliage. And you're seeing this gigantic tree in an appreciative manner. But yet you find out that that wonderful tree and all of its provisions, Revelation 22, all come from a root system. That's the garden. Eden in heaven. Oak tree root system. So where the oak tree began, how then the story of Revelation 22 how it began, how it then developed across the pages of Scripture. Third, I want to show you how the story has been resolved. Each one of you know how the story's been resolved, but it's always a good time to come together as the saints and rehearse the resolution of Christ in the gospel. How the story has been resolved. And then finally, where do you and I, each one individually, stand in light of the story? Tree to root system. Look with me first in uh, Revelation 22, the first couple of verses there, one and two. You've already had a read, so I'll just make brief and then we'll move to Genesis. But look in chapter 22 as this is so significant for our understanding of the Garden of Eden. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. That's one image you'll want to pay attention to. And your reading is the river of the water of life. It appears again in Ezekiel as Ezekiel speaks also prophetically about Revelation 22. He's both, Ezekiel's looking back at Eden and he's looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And he's using the exact same image, the water that runs with life. Here is the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. It's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So we recognize at the centerpiece of the new heaven and the new land, the new earth, is the throne of God and of the Lamb. Going source out, the source that flows from there is this river of the water of life. So we know so far out of the new land that is you and I's promised land at the center of it all on a million different levels is the throne of God and of the Lamb. Every good that comes, every experience that will be had, will all derive from the same source, the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city, is, so, so the, the river is flowing right there through the middle of the street of the city, which we already wrestled with last week as the city, as the people of God. Also, on either side of the river, This, again, is the same image driven from Ezekiel, chapter 47. Also, on either side of the river is the tree of life with its, there you have it again, 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. That is a significant image there of the tree that will once again yield its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree are for healing 
of the nations. That also is driven from Ezekiel 47 as a prophet speaks of the promised land. No longer will there be anything accursed there, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Now, I'm sure that your biblical um, neurons, senses, whatever those would be, they're pinging or ponging right now as you read, read those verses, wasn't it? You saw a tree of life, you saw a water source of life, and you saw the dwelling place of God, and you saw servants worshiping. Right? So you, you, your, your mind is, I know where that is. I, I've read that before. I've seen it before. Exactly. Exactly. Let us look to that. Turn to Genesis where this really all began. Look at Genesis and God's sanctuary where he has begun the story, where the beginning of the story of Revelation 22 is located. I want to look at Genesis 2 and just kind of walk through chapter 2 as we look at the context of God's covenant with Adam. God has a covenant here with Adam. And it is significant. Little did you know that in your reading of the Bible, in your growth, in your understanding of God's great redemptive work, was going to be that oath-taking, was going to be that sense of covenant that each of you had in your lives, right? What is that? Um, uh, it says, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Stick a needle in your eye. Oh, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. Do you remember the swearing ceremonies that you, that you would invoke on one another? And little did you know that, you know, that individual, you recognize at that point there is oath-taking ceremony in life. It's critical. It's important. Uphold your word. I'll uphold mine. We're entering into Scout's Honor, a covenant-keeping ceremony. And you're going to keep it, and I'm going to keep it. If not, you better hope you die. Stick a needle in your eye. Right? Recognize it's critical. You need to uphold your word. And I'll deliver on my end if you scout's honor. And you better not tell. If you tell, it's better that you hope in death. Stick a needle in your eye. Right? Little did you know that was ingrained in you. Oath-keeping. And the critical role of obedience in life and death matters. And you find out that that's actually the entire context of the Bible. Covenant oath-keeping. And you find out God is scout honored to deliverance of his promises. So we see that beginning in the context of Genesis 2. Revelation 22 comes because of the covenant-keeping ceremony of God and Adam in Genesis 2. Look with me briefly, like here at the context of the covenant. I want to read with you uh, beginning there in chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Look there in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden. So again, he's taking man in this creative work out of this sense of the land of Eden and he's placing him in the garden of Eden. This, this beautiful sanctuary. And man is to work it and to keep it. And here is the covenant ceremony, this covenant comment from God as he makes it with Adam. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, here is is the context, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Do you see obedience and disobedience? This is the commandment of the Lord to Adam. 
For in the day, here are the, the covenant penalties. Hope and death. Stick a needle in your eye. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do you see this covenant? The Lord God making a covenant with the man he created in the place that he put him. And then he is telling him, do this and don't do that. And this is a matter of life and death. This is the context. So as we look at Eden, I asked you at the very beginning, have you ever thought of Eden as less than absolutely final? Have you? Have you ever thought like, so, so sometimes we can read it and think, here's the garden, and it's perfect, and everything's pristine, and then everything went wrong, and now we're on this terrible downward slope until the Lord returns, and then a new heaven. And sometimes we lose scope that actually as we look at Eden, we recognize it wasn't everything. It's still, even in its beauty, Eden is a land of testing. Did you notice that there was a tree that's absent in the final Eden? (laughs) Glory to God. There is no testing. It's not a land of, will we stay in? It's not a future land of, get in by grace, stay in by obedience. Obedience has been won. It's get in by grace, remain in grace. It's not a land of testing. But Adam, here he stands, representing you and me in covenant with God in a life and death matter of obedience. And there's a testing with a tree of knowledge of good and evil that is a tree of death and a tree of life, a tree of reward. This is what's taking place in the garden. And all of you are watching from the theater of God with bated breath, aren't you? You're watching the man Adam in God's sanctuary, hearing the word of the Lord to him, thinking, please obey. Please obey. Did you hear? Don't do this and live. Do this and die. This is the seriousness of the covenant. And from this covenant comes your entry into Revelation 22. That is, will Adam obey or not? Look over at the symbolism that is present in the promise of the covenant. In chapter 2, look at verse 9. At the stakes couldn't be higher, as it's a life and death matter unto Adam. And I want to read for you. I'll go ahead and just begin reading verse 5, and we'll just go right down through it real quickly. With no, uh, uh, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land. It was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. For good for food. Here is the tree of reward. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. But it's a land of testing. It's not 
perfect. It's not heaven. It's not a new heaven and a new earth, won by the merits of Jesus Christ. But this is a land of testing. And there was a second tree, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here it is as a scenario for Adam, in covenant with God. Oftentimes we call this, if you were wondering, or maybe you've heard this before, is oftentimes it's kind of uh, referred to as a covenant of works. It's where Adam is in covenant with God. And Adam must absolutely obey the word of the Lord. And if he does, he will inherit. From this place, here he stands. Confirmed righteousness, Adam, and eternal life are yours. That is, guess what? The tree of life will yield its fruit. Did you notice that the tree of life is yielding its fruit in Revelation 22? It's bringing forth all of its fruits. It's for healing of all the nations. Here it stands in the covenant. Adam, obey and you will have this tree bring forth its fruits. You will enter into this eternal life. This tree will produce its fruits for you. But if you disobey, you will fall. There will be no righteousness for you. There will be death for you. And not just physical, when we watch in the curse. You will return to the ground, for out of the ground you were taken. You will die physically. You will die spiritually. You will die eternally, Adam. Or you will live righteously. You will live eternally. Will you obey or disobey? So we recognize in this covenant, and this is where you, again, do you recall, you are represented in this scenery by Adam. You and me, each one of us, in this situation before God, in this covenant before God. And according to Scripture, according to the terms of the covenant, eternal life to Adam, to be extended to Adam, to Adam go into confirmed righteousness and obedience and life everlasting in the pure fellowship of God, that which is yours in Revelation 22. For Adam to enter into that perfect land, it was valued by God. Guess how? Perfect and perpetual obedience. Life and death manner. Do this, Adam, and live. Do this, Adam, and die. So the value of eternal life, your life hidden in Christ, is valued by God. How? By perfect and perpetual obedience. I won't ask for a raise of hands. No scouts honor here on who has perfect and perpetual obedience. This is how the story of Revelation 22 began. Notice then how the story of Revelation 22 developed. Jonathan Edwards, speaking on this passage, if you remember who he is, one of the greatest minds, arguably, certainly arguably, one of the greatest minds America has ever produced, philosophically, theologically. He spoke of all of this and said, you know, Genesis 3 is the most sorrowful and melancholy chapter we possess in the entire Bible. 
I think in our sense, we've always rehearsed it or thought of it so many times, we tend to think, yep, the fall, the curse, it's terrible, Christ came. Edwards would ask us, could we take a time out and slow down and recognize what Adam lost is the most, this recorded loss is the most sorrowful and melancholy chapter we possess in all of the Bible. Not because of, well, let me continue. Look with me in how this developed. In chapter 3, verse 22, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 3 of how Revelation 22, the story of Eden and Revelation 22, how it developed. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. You see, he, he partook, right? He partook, so now it is. Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat. And did you see the reward? Eating of the tree of life. He would live forever. This is his righteousness. He would live forever. Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. To work the ground from which he was taken, he drove out the man and to the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every which way. And you could imagine a cherubim there with his lightsaber sword, which is really huge in my house with my children. Everyone wants their lightsaber sword. And to kill the enemy, you think of this... You know, boom, boom, boom. there it is, swooshing and, and swaying every which way. No one is getting in is the picture. No one is getting in lest they go through the sword. Oh, you know how this story is being resolved, don't you? There are no back doors to Eden. There is no tunnel we can dig underneath and come out in the middle. No one gets in, lest they pass through a flaming sword that turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. That which Adam gave up was not just that goodness and that holiness that he had while he was there in the garden. At creation, it is very good. He also gave up that prospective righteousness and life eternal because he Loved the creature rather than the creator. This is why I said to you in the city catechism this morning, idolatry. As it was prayed before we came up to speak, idolatries that continue every day in our own hearts. A lack of concern for the holiness of God and a joyfulness and commitment to ourselves. was not content with serving the Lord. But would rather serve himself. Ultimately, what this brings about in the image of the flaming sword is separation from God. Again, I think we need to just pause. If you could meditate with me just for a moment. On what that meant, eternal separation from the Lord. 
we have recorded for us indeed at the picture of the flaming sword, the lightsaber of the garden. Separation between God and man. And nobody gets to the tree of life because of it. This is how the story began to develop when the covenant was broken between God and Adam. Now I want to show you just briefly, let us look forward to how the story was resolved. I think you're getting there, but as we look, this is how the story has been resolved. From the covenant being broken in Eden, it is the covenant of Christ. Look with me in Romans 5. We're going all the way to Romans 5 to see how this covenant was restored. The covenant between God and Adam. The brokenness that it brought in the eternal separation. Man died physically, spiritually, he died eternally. And separation between God and man was instituted. Look with me if you're there in Romans 5. I want to begin, I'm going to read the whole text. Stay with me, please, and follow along to see this is exactly what Paul is speaking on in the great covenant between Adam and God and how this covenant has been resolved. The issue of eternal separation and eternal life have been overcome. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's a comment of us being an Adam in this covenant. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there was no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Did you see that? One Adam as a type or a model Of one who was to come. But the free gift. Is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass. Much more will have the grace of God. And the free gift. By the grace of that one man. Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like. The result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, 
grace also might reign through righteousness. And look what it leads to. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, in piecing together as Paul is here, Adam in the garden and Christ as the fulfillment of who Adam was, that is, Adam stood in the garden in the covenant with God and he represented the many. He stood here in covenant with God and his call to obey or die was the same covenant to you. Your eternal life is valued at perfect and perpetual obedience before God. You're bound in Adam. So as Paul pieces it together, there is yet a second Adam, the New Testament calls him. Who Adam, as he stood and represented the many, and he fell in his disobedience, the second Adam has come. Like the first, representing the many. So that by one man who represented the many, death befell all of them. In the second Adam, representing the many, he brought eternal life, justification, and righteousness. Because there's a fundamental difference between the first and the second Adam. One perfectly and perpetually obeyed. This is the glory of Revelation 22. We were outside the garden sanctuary, never to enter again. We will lose righteousness, not have it. We will die, not grow in eternal life. We will be away from God forever, not drawn unto Him. But the second Adam did come being born of a virgin, without Adam's lineage of sin. And then he lived at the value of God's righteousness, perfect and perpetual obedience. And he brought in eternal life, justification, righteousness, and union to God, reconciliation. But it is, isn't it? Yet that's not enough. If you look at that and you say, great, so Jesus Christ came. This is the story of what's known as the gospel. Christ, the second Adam, has come and he has gained life eternal. Union with God where we can be reconciled and be in his abode forever. We can be counted as obedient children. But we recognize that's not enough. Not at this point in the story. It's not enough. Because remember, it is the great John Calvin who would remind us, if Christ's righteousness, there he is, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, if his righteousness remains outside of us, it is absolutely no good to us. Right? We just watched the perfect Adam. Here he is, the son of man, in perfect obedience. Achieving eternal life, justification, and righteousness. Yet if it remain outside of us, the disobedient offenders, it remains to be of no good to us. 
someone, that one, must pass through the sword. Pass through the sword of Eden to bring the children in. There is no offering that the children themselves can offer. There is no fruit basket you can bring. We need Christ, the righteous one, to offer himself. That we might be partakers and so abide in Revelation 22 forever. This is where the story then is resolved in the great work of Christ in his atoning death. This is the final picture of Eden, the pass through the sword of judgment. Consider how it's expressed this way. I want to read for you. You don't have to turn there. Listen to me, perhaps just from Galatians 3 in our final moments here of the curse that Christ underwent. Remember, if his righteousness remains outside of us, it remains to be of no good to us. So it is, Paul explains in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law. Remember, Adam, obey and live. Disobey and die. Paul says, every one of us who rely on the works of the law, we are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Eternal life is valued by God at perfect and perpetual obedience. Cursed is the one who seeks their own justification. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one will be justified before God by the law. It's evident, right? We're all going to raise our hands, right? It's evident in this room. So it is that he says, for the righteous shall live by faith then. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Adam, in the garden, do it and live, disobedient, and die. Christ, however, verse 13, redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is Christ, who his righteousness remain outside of us, is of no good to us, so that he became a curse for us. Zechariah, I'm just going to read a couple last texts for you in our closing. Zechariah 13.7 spoke of it this way in the Garden of Eden's picture. Zechariah 13.7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. The, the piece, do you remember the lightsaber? Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Christ quotes this text of himself 
in Matthew 26, 31, speaking of his own death. He will undergo the sword of Eden to bring the children home. Mark 15, 34. You remember this and the separation of God as with Eden. No longer will man dwell in the presence of God. So it is that Christ became a curse for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Separation has been removed. Because the sword was awakened upon the shepherd. Christ brought the children home. My final question to you then is where do we stand in this story? Do we share in the righteousness of Christ that he has achieved? Do we possess life eternal? And are we children reconciled to God that are going home one day? Don't know when. But we would come to Revelation 22 and we would read it for our own soul. That we will be there in the presence of God, in the tree of life, yielding forth its fruits. Or are we outside of that? Not reconciled to the great obedience of Christ, but still disobedient children in Adam. If this is the case, you do realize the final image of the symbolism that still remains upon you. There's a flaming sword in front of the gateway to Eden. You must pass through it. Only to be raised. And face a second death. Not God's pleasures forevermore. Christ says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word again, as sharing in with these people of God bought by the precious blood of Christ. We thank you that as we stood dead in Adam in the garden, you have redeemed us by your perfect and perpetual obedience. By that obedience being laid down upon the cross, the sword of God, that you have become a curse for us. That we would enter into Eden's pleasures in the pleasure of God forevermore. All because of Christ. So we thank you for your obedience, Lord. We thank you for the promised Holy Spirit who has come, uniting our hearts in this fellowship with one another, rejoicing over the truth of your word. Let the truth wash over us, setting our hearts aright to look upon us in Adam and resist idolatry.
to not love ourselves more than he who created and redeemed us. For we are reminded, you were not redeemed with perishable things, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. Therefore glorify God in your bodies. We do love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.